You are listening to Navigating Life, the podcast where we talk about life with your host, Cliff Aguirre. Today on Navigating Life, I'll be talking to Dr. Spencer Green about Chinese herbal medicine. He'll be discussing the benefits and uses of Chinese herbal medicine, as well as its history. So let me share with you our discussion. Well, thank you very much for having me. So let's start this out by um, asking, what is Chinese herbal medicine? So Chinese herbal medicine is um, a specific practice of herbal medicine that grew out of China it grew out of the history and the lineage of Chinese culture, and it's woven its way into you know many facet, facets of, of Chinese life. It involves you know the use of plant matter in certain instances, minerals, and in certain instances, uh, certain animal products in order to treat disease, prevent disease um, of pretty much all sorts. Okay. Is there a difference between Western herbs and Chinese herbal medicine? There is. So there's kind of two main differences. Um, one of the first differences is one of the, the theoretical concepts that the tradition grew out of. So Chinese medicine date back a couple thousand years, and it's, it's deeply rooted in the principles put forth in a text called the Huangdi Neijing, or the Yellow Emperor's Classic of Internal Medicine. Um, it's the principles put forth in this text that form the basis of traditional Chinese medical physiology, diagnosis, and treatment. Western herbalism doesn't link to that same theoretical framework. I mean, don't get me wrong, Western medicine has you know its own rich tradition from which it developed, and a Western herbalist would practice from that tradition, but they might not necessarily tie back to the principles put forth in the Huangdi Neijing. Um, the second main difference is that is, is largely a matter of what is available, you know, due to climate and geography. So pre-globalism and being able to ship herbs from one side of the world to another, many herbalists practiced with what was, you know, immediately um, nearby in terms of geography. So also Chinese herbal medicine is a practice that uses largely herbs that are local to Indochina, that whole region of the world. Okay. So what's the difference between the herbs that we can buy at a local store and the herbs that uh, you use for your Chinese medicine? So one of the main differences would be uh, potency. So um, herbs that I get, I get from suppliers who only sell to licensed providers. largely because of the amount of different herbs that they, that they offer. I mean, it's important to remember that herbs can have very powerful medicinal properties. And if they're used skillfully, they can do a lot of good. But if they're utilized haphazardly, they can, they can cause harm. And one of the things that's kind of demonstrative of Chinese herbal medicine is using herbs in formulation, using many herbs in combination and more often than not, the more you combine herbs, the more specific or more tailored it is to a particular presentation, a particular disease, or a particular person. Um, if you're buying 
herbs at the local store, you know, that's meant to be for the masses. So more often than not, it's maybe one herb or maybe two herbs. So that would be one of the main differences is every time I give someone a formulation, they're getting a, a custom formulation. Okay. So actually tell us a little bit about the history of Chinese herbal medicine. You said that it sure. went back thousands of years. Yeah. So, so Chinese herbal medicine, um, again, roots back to the Huangdi Neijing. Um, and then there's other texts like the Ling Shu, which is the spiritual pivot and the Su Wen, which is basic questions. Um, uh, there's also another text called the Nanjing, which is the classic of difficulties. And Chinese herbal medicine has always kind of rooted itself in these various texts. And there's, you know, thousands of years worth of people, you know, reading them, commenting on them, expanding on certain principles laid forth. And that's kind of the common thread that binds the whole tapestry together. Um, I think also one of the interesting things about the history of Chinese medicine, and many folks might be more familiar with European history in the sense of, you know, there was a time where in, in Europe, and to a degree, you know, we have like the Salem witch trials here in the United States, there was a time where if you practice herbalism, you were risking, you know, your life um, or risking repercussions. And there's, there's no such risk present in the history of Chinese herbal medicine. So because of that, um, there's a lot of information that's been written down that's been, again, like I said, commented on or expanded upon throughout history. So it's really kind of fascinating to look at some of these formulations that might have existed all the way back to a particular text called the Shang Han Lun, which is uh, the discussion of cold damage. And over the centuries that followed, those same core formulas, practitioners might reference that formula and say, oh, and I also found that if the person has, you know, a runny nose, then take this herb out and add one in. Or, you know, if the person lives at a high altitude, double the dose of this particular herb. And it's really, without getting into specifics in terms of dates and when and who did what, I mean, the history of Chinese medicine, the main takeaways, it's very rich, it's very lush, there's there's really a, uh, a treasure trove of profound information within the, the lineage, as I like to call it, of, of Chinese herbal medicine. Okay. When did, um, when did this actually come to the United States? Do you know? Or? Oh, so that's a, that's a great question. That actually, so that was around the time of, Richard Nixon, and there's really two phases. So as Chinese people came to the United States, you know, they brought their local cultures with them. They brought their medicine with them, you know, they brought what they knew and what they grew out of. And that's kind of a, a gradual process. But when it really kind of exploded, if you will, into the, the United States consciousness, if you will, was um, at the time of Richard Nixon. It's kind of a great story. He was traveling to China. And at that time, he, um, one of his aides fell ill and he was treated at a Chinese hospital and they used acupuncture and some other aspects of Chinese medicine to, to treat this patient. And Richard Nixon and the patient were, you know, blown away. 
and you know came back and there was a couple news stories about it and that was kind of the the catalyst for you know the gradual evolving and weaving in of chinese medical techniques into the the larger framework of the united states oh that's pretty interesting so what are the benefits of chinese herbal medicine and what can they be used for so Chinese medicine really can be used for a myriad of different things. You know, I mean, there's variations in, from region to region in the world between people and what they, you know, disease states and stuff. But by and large, people have suffered from various common pathologies for a long time. You know, so the herbal tradition of Chinese medicine is, like I said, a vast lineage. And they've treated so many different things over the years because, you know, it's one of the most heavily populated countries in the world and it's got a long history. So, you know, over a period of time, they've used it for so many different things. I mean, but some specific examples would be things like, you know, migraine headaches, gastrointestinal distress, whether it's like acute or chronic, um, gynecological concerns, you know, infertility, lack of a menstrual period, very heavy menstrual period, painful menstrual period, any of those sorts of things. Uh, general things like stress, fatigue, insomnia, I mean, and, and, and a lot more. I mean, it's, a, it's really quite a long list of things that it can be used for. Do you see a lot of that in your work? I do. I would say the main two that I see most of are gastrointestinal-related concerns and gynecological concerns. Those are kind of uh, the two big arenas that I work with the most. Um, and they might be coupled with some of the other ones, you know, with stress or fatigue or headaches or what have you. But usually the, the Goliath of, you know, people's main concern is one of those two categories. So, so how does uh, Chinese herbal medicine work? Well, it, it works a lot like anything else, you know, you'd put in your body in the sense of, you know, it's received by the stomach, broken down and passed through the intestinal tract where it's absorbed, assimilated. And, you know, as it's assimilated, it starts to create the changes within the body that the various herbs are known to do. Um, so any sort of phytochemical or plant-based chemical physiological cascade that could occur, that's how an herb would work, um, especially if taken internally. I mean, there's other ways to take them as well. Probably the second most common as opposed to taking them by mouth is to uh, use them topically, you know, some sort of compress on the skin or some sort of uh, soak or, you know, there's, we use a lot of what's called liniments where you soak a formulation in an alcohol for, you know, a couple of weeks to a couple of years. And then that is applied topically to specific regions. You see that a lot of things like joint pain, muscle pulls, broken bones, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And what made you decide to study Chinese medicine? Well, so, I mean, in the, to put it lightly, when I was a young kid, I became fascinated with martial arts and never really grew out of it, honestly. I mean, my fondness for martial arts, my fondness for, you know, the, the, the worldview that is present within Chinese martial arts was the initial hook. And then it wasn't until later that I actually learned that there was, you know, a whole system of traditional medicine within Chinese culture, just as there is, you know, traditional Chinese martial arts. 
And it's very common for, you know, the two to run hand in hand, you know, because, you know, in martial arts or in warfare, you face ailments, you know, whether it's an accident in like a training where someone, I don't know, breaks a bone in their hand or someone, you know, in warfare is damaged by a spear, some other crazy circumstance. And, you know, it's just, just an interest in that subject and, and a natural kind of one foot in front of the other that just kept me going back to it, kept me wanting to study further and to know more. I mean, it's not like it was some grand plan. It was more so, I, I, Rumi, I think, says it best. He says, you know, if you let yourself be drawn by the strange pull of what you love, it will never lead you astray. Pretty good. So I'd like to ask, uh, what is the first session like when they, a client comes to see you? Sure, sure. So it, it involves a little paperwork at the beginning, um, sort of to establish the bird's eye view of, you know, what's going on in a, in a person's life, um, both physiologically and also um, their social circumstance, you know, stressors, family support, et cetera. Um, and then with that, within the paperwork and in conversation, they'll usually have a specific ailment that they want to focus on. You know, usually, like I said, it's either tends to be gastrointestinal or gynecological um, or really any of the others. Um, and in that first session, we'll address the chief concern, maybe ask some secondary questions, and then formulate a plan that addresses it by focusing on the root metabolic cause of the concern. It's called treating the root. Um, from which a patient will, you know, take home a, a custom formula and drink the herbs. Someone in it's like an instant tea. You a couple packets of various different um, extracted powders, a little hot water, and that's drunk uh, twice a day for usually several weeks. Okay. And why are um, Chinese herbs taken as a formula instead of as a single herb? Well, that. So that's a good question. So without getting too technical, I would say you kind of want to think of it like cooking. So um, a good dish will have a balance of flavors and elements that are well-rounded and an overall pleasant experience, you know. If a dish just tasted like salt, chances are you wouldn't think it was particularly good. An herbal formula is a medicinal dish. So it, it'll contain within it various elements that focus on the main concern being addressed while other herbs that kind of act as assistance to that role. If you think, you know, a classical way to describe it is envision a chief, a deputy, and um, a team of assistants. And using those herbs in formulation, depending on who you pair or which herb you pair certain herbs with, certain effects that they have are drawn to the forefront, which you might want to do depending on a person's constitution or the, the chief uh, concern. Um, and also it's been found that, you know, using herbs, they work together. It's like that old adage that many hands make light work. Using multiple herbs can, in many instances, be more efficient than to just use a single herb. And there's some debate about this among folks, and it's also kind of a question of style. You know, not everybody practices herbalism the same way. Some people use very small formulations of three to six ingredients, and then others use much larger formulations of, you know, 15 to 25. 
So it's, it's, uh, it's again, taking it back, it's, it's like cooking, you know, there's, there's many different ways to, to prepare a dish. And in many instances, they really can be, you know, quite delicious, no matter how varied they might be. Right. And how do you determine what herbs a client would need? So that, I mean, that's, that's the big question. You know, that's, that's really the art of it all. That's the diagnosis. And that, that ultimately is the craft that a clinician engages in, you know, for, for their whole life is knowing how to treat a particular disease based upon how it's manifesting in person. Um, but in terms of like the, the bricks and mortar of how we do that, there's, the herbs are determined by what's called the four examinations, which are looking, asking, listening, and palpating. So taking each in turn, you know, looking involves looking at the person, the, the observation of, of the patient's body type, facial complexion in general, as well as, you know, certain specifics, like maybe if they have a skin rash, how the skin rash appears or the shape and color of a person's tongue will also tell us a lot of what's going on internally. Tasking is, you know, partially represented by the paperwork that the patient fills out because many kind of passive questions are asked in terms of symptoms they might generally experience. Um, but we also may ask further questions to help parse out details that might need to be expanded upon or clarified to rule in or rule out a particular diagnosis. Um, so that's looking, that's asking, listening. Um, you know, my, it's uh, an example might be the sound of a cough. You know, is it a productive cough? Is it a dry cough? You know, also, you know, the technical term for listening is auscultation. Um, so you might listen to heart valves or the, the sound of the gastric motility, the sound of your intestines doing their job. Um, palpating involves checking a person's pulse um, as well as checking the balance of the physical body. Um, which in Chinese medicine, we, that's represented through what's called the Jingluo or the, the meridian system, which the meridian system has a very large tie-in with the practice of acupuncture. The, using acupuncture and the meridian system to bring the body towards a state of health and homeostasis. So it's, it's from the information gathered by these four examinations, looking, asking, listening, and palpating, that we establish a diagnosis. And then once we establish a diagnosis, the herbs are chosen in order to address and treat that diagnosis. Okay. And how long does it usually take to see results with Chinese herbal medicine? So, good question. That partially depends on what's being treated. You know, so if someone has, let's say, a cold, you know, you should feel a result in a dose or two, you know, might, might not be complete resolution, but you should feel better after just one or two doses, something more chronic. It might take a week or two for one to, to feel the effects. But, you know, in general, it's, it, it's, it's a pretty tangible medicine. Like you should, a person does usually feel results relatively quickly. Um, they might not be able to quite put their finger on it, but uh, they just start to feel better. And then overall they start to see, symptoms decreasing or uh, the intensity, like for example, a headache, they might see their headaches when they do occur, they're not as bad and they seem to be more dispersed in terms of how often they occur until one day they look back and say, wow, I haven't had a headache in, you know, months or years, you know, however it might be. 
Um, so again, it, it, it varies a little bit on what's being treated, but it is very tangible. Like chances are if a person doesn't feel any change, it's not the right formula for them. And it's, it's maybe a problem with the diagnosis or, you know, um, anything like that. So it's pretty quickly. That's the short answer. Pretty quickly. Can pregnant women use Chinese uh, herbs? Um, so both yes and no. Um, so certain herbs they most certainly cannot take, um, but there are a lot that they can. I mean, in the in the Chinese medical lineage, there are a number of herbs that have been used to prevent miscarriage or to you know to soothe the fetus. Um, it's really a question of which herbs and when, as opposed to all or nothing. I mean, they can, but they can't take all of them, and you might want to adjust the dosage that they take, in, and also depending on where they are. I mean, if they're in the first trimester versus the third trimester, I mean, there's very different situations going on. And You know, in my personal practice with pregnancy, I have a tendency to use, you know, food-grade herbs, herbs that are a little bit milder, um, unless, you know, we are trying to prevent a miscarriage or something like that. And then we'll use herbs that are not necessarily foods, but that's what they're, one of the effects that they have is to help stabilize the fetus. So very much so. And especially, I mean, a lot of people come in because they um, are hoping to have a child. So there are many women who come in trying to get pregnant and I use Chinese herbs as a big facet of my treatment to get them to a to success to get them to where they you know start to bear a child do chinese uh herbs have any side effects so generally no the, and the, the way that i'll describe it is if you think of it as the herbs have multiple effects that they can be utilized and it ties back to the idea of why we use them in a formulation if you know, let, let's say that there's an herb that sometimes for folks can cause a little bit of nausea and you know that they have a slightly sensitive stomach. You might put in an herb like here's fresh ginger to help abate that or to dampen that particular effect. It's, um, it's like, again, like cooking, like if an herb or if a food is slightly salty and also slightly bitter and you want to dampen down the, the salty, taste on the tongue, then you might add a little bit of sweetness to, to soften that. Chinese herbs, in general, in many ways, it's kind of the medicine of side effects in the sense that we will use an herb in a particular situation to use one of its many different effects. But I mean, do when, I, when we hear side effects, like do people experience adverse effects to taking herbs? Very rarely. Very rarely. And the worst that I've usually seen is because, you know, they're new, like a person hasn't ingested something like that, some of this plant matter before. So they might feel like a little queasy in the stomach after a dose. But other than that, you know, you could either add an herb, lower the dose, or after a dose or two, the, their body gets used to it and then it's, it's fine. So, so generally, no. Generally, no, I would say. Okay. And how would my listeners know if a practitioner is professionally trained in Chinese herbal medicine? So they they should be a graduate of a professional school with, and they should also have a state license and a national certification. So 
Um, for example, myself, I went to the University of Bridgeport uh, in Connecticut and got my doctorate of traditional Chinese medicine. After I graduated with that degree, I was then able to apply to what's called the NCCAOM, the National Commission for the Accreditation of Acupuncture uh, Chinese Medicine. Um, after applying to NCCAOM, they see that I have all of the various credentials that are required from which they give a stamp of approval. And then I then take that to the state that I am in practice in. I was originally in Connecticut in practice, now in Massachusetts in practice, and apply to that state for a state license, similar to law or, you know, any other form of health care. So typically, you know, when you look at a practitioner's bio on their website, they'll address these things. They'll usually say where they went to school, say that they have a license. Um, I would say that if they don't say that they have a license, that would be suspect. Um, you, you know, and you'll also see initials after their name, like DTCM, which stands for Doctorate of Traditional Chinese Medicine. That's what I have. You'll see LAC, which I also have, which is a licensed acupuncturist. Um, you might also see DOM LAC, which is Doctorate of Oriental Medicine. Um, and the LAC is still licensed acupuncturist. There's, you know, a couple different degrees. It depends on what aspect of the tradition one focuses on. But you should see, at the very least, you should see that. A, a degree from a professional school, a national certification, and a state license. And in many instances, if you're not sure if a practitioner has it, you can always just ask them. Um, and they should readily be able to supply that information to you because we've had to apply, apply to the state and you know, all the other various committees along the way. And is there anything that you'd like to add for my listeners that I haven't asked? You know, don't be afraid to ask questions in terms of, you know, I, I guess in many ways as a complementary alternative medicine provider in the United States or an integrative medicine sort of provider, is the biggest obstacle that a lot of people have is they, they just don't know. You know, they're not sure what they, whether or not Chinese medicine has tools in its toolkit to help with, you know, symptom X, Y, or Z or disease X, Y, or Z. I mean, that's, that's easy enough as a simple phone call. You know, if you have a practitioner, if you're or if you are looking for a practitioner, give them a call, shoot them an email and say, hey, I have this or I'm working with this. Do you have experience with that? Um, is, is there something that you can provide that could help? And, and you know, right, that's what we do for a living. We're happy to answer those sorts of questions and to, um, to explain what we can do for a particular person. So uh, I would guess I would just generally say, you know, don't be, don't be bashful. Just reach out and ask. We're, we're here to help. That's, that's our trade is to help people and to increase the quality of life. So I think that would be the most important takeaway. Well, this has been very interesting. I've learned a lot about Chinese medicine just by listening to you. Awesome. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad to help. And I'm, I appreciate, you know, all the questions and the interest. So thank you for sharing this with all the listeners. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. That was my guest, Dr. Spencer Green. Dr. Green presently works at the Tom Brady TB12 in Foxborough, Massachusetts. Follow the Navigating Life podcast to hear all future shows. And remember, you can buy my books and music at Amazon.com or at Cliff 
booksmusic.com. So thank you for listening.